U.S. Navy destroyer once again shoots down a drone in the Red Sea. But what does that mean for commercial ships in the region? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. Thank you for the opportunity to discuss uh, what I think is most important, uh, not just professionally, but uh, personally, and that's people. Getting the right people, proper development to address the hard problems that our nation faces. And the Senate confirmed the second-ever National Cyber Director. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Thursday, December 14th, 2023. First up today, a U.S. Navy destroyer shot down a drone for at least the second time this month in the Red Sea. Navy Times reporter Diana Stancy joins the episode today to bring us an update. So, Diana, U.S. Navy officials told you that... The USS Mason, currently operating in the Red Sea, had another encounter with a UAV or an unmanned aerial vehicle just yesterday. So could you tell us exactly what happened? Yes. So on Wednesday, the USS Mason shot down yet another unmanned aerial vehicle that officials say originated from Iran-allied Houthi rebels in Yemen. This marks at least the second instance this month where the Mason has taken such an action. So um, additionally, this incident is the most recent episode where U.S. warships in the Middle East have taken actions intercepting air drones and missiles, and it also comes just days after the Mason assisted a Norwegian flag commercial ship, a cruise missile struck in the Red Sea just on uh, Monday. So according to the defense official that spoke with Navy Times, the Mason took down the drone, um, which was headed in the direction of the ship as part of an act of self-defense on Wednesday. It's unclear, however, if the drone specifically was targeting the Mason or not, though. Amazing. Thanks, Diana. For some context for our listeners, the Red Sea leads to the Suez Canal, which makes it one of the busiest sea highways in the world. Researchers say that more than 30% of global containers pass through that body of water. In other news, a provision in this year's defense bill would expand leave benefits for veterans who transition to the federal workforce. Federal Times reporter Molly Weisner sits down with us to talk about the measure. So Molly, how does this provision in the National Defense Authorization Act expand leave benefits for veterans who are transitioning into civilian life in the federal workforce? Yeah, so there's a provision in the latest version of the NDAA, which is expected to pass through the House and Senate this week, that would recognize prior military service when determining eligibility for family and medical leave. So in other words, it's allowing service members to credit their time in uniform toward paid parental leave if they work for a federal agency. And the whole point here is that prior to this, you know, reservists and those in the guard would be able to use that time to count for the minimum eligibility standards for FMLA, which is family and medical leave. But now this also applies to just general active duty service members that had prior service. Maybe they came to work for the VA or the IRS or Social Security, and they're now uh, looking to take advantage of this, but they haven't worked in that agency for a year yet. They can use their military time to help get them up to that one year eligibility benchmark. You know, for those of us who don't know, like myself also, could you tell us what is the Family and Medical Leave Act? 
it was passed in 1993. So it's been around for a while now. And basically what it does is it is one of several different leave programs provided to federal employees and others that gives 12 weeks of job protected leave, but it's without pay, except a few years ago, there was legislation that passed that would allow pay for parental duties. But for the most part, it's just time that a federal employee can take to uh, deal with a serious medical situation, be a caregiver for someone. Um, and of course, like I said, take time for the birth, adoption or foster of a child. How many people will be impacted by this? I mean, how many veterans even work in the federal government? Yeah, so certainly, you know, there are some folks who presumably would be able to take advantage of this benefit assuming it gets passed in the NDAA. Um, but, you know, there's about a third of the federal workforce is comprised of veterans. So certainly, you know, we do see instances where folks who start in the military end up hopping the fence and coming to work for a federal agency. And so having something like this um, in the law from here on out would um, certainly benefit people going forward. Also on your radar today, senators confirmed the second ever national cyber director on Wednesday. The Senate confirmed Harry Coker to the post in a bipartisan vote. Coker is a 20-year Navy veteran and served as the third in command at the National Security Agency. His confirmation fills a vacancy that has been open for 10 months after the agency's inaugural director stepped down in February. So here's why it matters, though. Just 7% of permanent, full-time federal employees are under the age of 30. Coker said during his confirmation hearing the government should focus on recruiting and retaining talented people all walks of life, not just college-educated folks or folks from urban areas. Uh, if confirmed, I, I would frankly, sir, continue the good work that ONCD has done with its partners. The strategy that we've mentioned uh, tackles this challenge head-on. It recognizes that it's uh, a whole-of-nation uh, challenge. It, it, it gets the right involvement with the private sector, but also with another key partner, the state, local, uh, tribal and territorial governments. So if confirmed, sir, what I would do is drive to those levels to ensure that uh, they, they know a few things. And one, it's based on mentoring that I do in, in Baltimore City with uh, middle school kids. I ask what are their favorite subjects. Uh, they span liberal arts, STEM, all of that. Well, when I was growing up, cyber, although it wasn't called cyber, was focused purely on STEM folks. Mm -hmm people that had that interest. That's no longer the case, and that has to be messaged. Frankly, uh, that strategy, the workforce education strategy, has a, a pillar, a foundation, in that we need to increase the cyber skills of all Americans. Uh, so that's one, regardless of the interest in STEM. The Office of the National Cyber Director has a major role to play in the Biden administration's National Cybersecurity Strategy Implementation Plan. Coker will also have a seat on the White House's Artificial Intelligence Council. And now here are some stories that we're also hearing chirps about. The White House said President Joe Biden held his first in-person meeting this week with the families of some of the eight Americans still unaccounted for and presumed taken captive by Hamas during its October 7th attack on Israel. Stars and Stripes reported that a British court acquitted a U.S. Space Force colonel this week of responsibility for a car crash in England earlier this year. Two teenage boys were reportedly seriously injured in the crash. And the outlet reported that Bob Pardo died this month at 89 years old. He left his mark in Air Force history for using an unorthodox maneuver called Pardo's Push to save his wingman's life during a bombing mission over Vietnam. 
And on this day in history in 1799, President George Washington died at his estate in Mount Vernon, Virginia. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, or a comment, or all, wherever you get your podcasts. And please be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Diana Stancy and Molly Wisner. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.